Welcome back to Your Story, the only podcast where our guests will tell theirs with the help of 12 questions in ideally under 30 minutes. Tonight, we are joined by Shane Pockroy. He's the host of the Underground Antics podcast. Join, he's joined by special guests and experts from a wide range of disciplines, including science, medicine, and spirituality. Shane endeavors to explore, understand, and share the incredible knowledge and wisdom of our world. He was born and raised in South Africa and has been happily living in Toronto for the last eight years. Shane has a degree in philosophy from the University of Toronto and is a lifelong learner and student in science, psychology, history, and spirituality. Shane, welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Yeah, man. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, it was great to have you on my show and, you know, all the better for being here. Yeah, and that, uh, that conversation made me think that this would be... Uh, an interesting one. You had a uh, very thoughtful way of asking questions and uh, a lot of great responses. So it just made a lot of sense. Yeah, thanks. That's the the philosophy training, I suppose, combined with a, a somewhat of a natural curiosity to know more about everything, I suppose. So let's start there then with the philosophy. Uh, how did you get started in it? What do you what do you kind of lean on as far as learning? from your learning in philosophy and how do you apply it today? So that's a few questions in one, but I did want to start there. Sure. Um, it's a great question. I mean, you know, sort of thinking back to childhood and things like that, I, um, I'd always had a curious mind, you could say, you know, I was always asking big questions that people weren't really <laughs> well equipped to answer. Um, but I nevertheless had those questions. And, you know, the school I went to, so I, I grew up in South Africa in Johannesburg, and um, I went to a Jewish day school there. And um, as part of that school, philosophy wasn't really a subject, right? So my interest was really just my own. Um, and it was just, you know, talking with friends or people who are, would speak to me about it. And then, when I moved to Canada um, and I was looking to go to university, you know, I enrolled uh, in the University of Toronto and um, for a BA, you know, a Bachelor of Arts program. And I saw that I could do philosophy and that evidently, you know, U of T has one of the best philosophy departments in Canada. And so that was very exciting. And I jumped right in, you know, I did it, both philosophy and psychology, but I majored in, in philosophy. Um, so that's kind of how I got started in it. In terms of how it impacts, you know, my thought process and my day-to-day -day life, um, I mean, it's less clear on the day-to-day -day front, but really what I found with philosophy was that it gave me like a set of mental tools, we could say, right? It taught me how to look at things in a very structured way and analyze it in terms of like premises and conclusions. And so, you know, it's a good way to approach problem solving and, you know, logical reasoning where it doesn't really matter what the content is, the process of, you know, analysis of looking at premise one, two, three and conclusion and being able to sort of formulate an argument that way that has applications everywhere. Right. Um, and that's not a unique thing to philosophy, but it's a particular skill that they teach you there. Um, I love the content uh, of philosophy, you know, because you really get to deal with the big questions, you know, and it, it's big questions across the board, whether it's like, let's say, you know, epistemology, which is the study of knowledge. So how do we know things? How do we know things are true? 
um, what counts as knowledge, how does knowledge evolve, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, consciousness falls somewhere along those lines as well sometimes. Um, then there's also like more religious or theological questions about God and purpose and meaning, um, which is always interesting and fun for me. <laughs> I mean, I know it's not most people's cup of tea, but if you're interested, you know, this is the place where you're going to go um, to things like ontology, which is the study of existence itself. And um, what does it mean for something to exist or not exist? And uh, so it really gave me a, a really great foundation. And I'm, I'm hugely, you know, grateful to have had that, that opportunity to sort of set me up. Um, but these days, you know, my philosophical inclinations really come through on the podcast more in conversation. So it's less about structured arguments and more about just like deep thinking about particular things. Um, yeah. I, I love that answer because our conversation definitely touched upon that, especially in the way that you describe it as kind of a how to think about things or the foundation for how I'm going to, uh, problem solve or how I'm going to move forward when something different comes across my, uh, across my desk or I, I, I learn something new. So I, I, I think that I want a psychology, uh, excuse me, a philosophy minor myself. So I, I look at it mm -hmm. in a very similar way. So that, that's a cool approach. Yeah. What did you like about philosophy? I like that it taught you not to accept anything on its face necessarily that it's this is this is a school of thought this is the way people have thought about it before or this is a, a different way of thinking and here is something that you probably at least for me never considered until you've taken a step back and, and reviewed this or this was something that you had whole you had held as, as a common or a basic truth and here's the actual um, thinking behind it and just put that twist on it uh, right. I, the one thing I do think of all the time, my very first philosophy class, the professor had a cartoon with the syllabus and it said, and it just had a guy sitting in front of a regular tackle bait shop and the sign said philosophy and bait store and said, what else am I going to do with a degree? So it, it was right. just, uh, I'm always, I, I love the course material. I love the conversations in the class. That's the other thing that in all the classes was that, you know, you've got your uh, pseudo intelligence that uh, people kind of want to show off but there's it's really just really good mental exercises that's that's what really uh stuck yeah. out to me it's especially i think back on it now mm -hmm. i'll tell you what uh, one of the problems that i ran into with it was i found that a lot of people myself included go into these kind of programs perhaps wanting answers for things like big questions right and the problem is that well, there are answers, but there's multiple answers. And it's not exactly clear which one is more right than the other. You can have completely valid and coherent arguments that don't work together and are contradictory, and yet they both seem true. And then you're like, oh, well, I guess I just have to pick one, you know? And that that kind of throws you a little bit because it, it then comes down to something as like nominal as just making a decision about which one you want to believe or not, because there's evidence in both sides, right? Um, so that was something that sort of came up that I just thought about now that that kind of is an unfortunate part of it. But, you know, it is the search for truth, you could say. And so it's forever evolving and growing. And uh, it's definitely a great field for those who are interested. 
I'm glad you said that. And I won't tack on to all of your answers, I promise. But the thing that you mentioned there is that being okay with more than one answer and not just this is it, or this is the only way that it can be that kind of expanding your mind that any, you know, in other fields, math, you know, there's a way that you're going to work out a solution that it's, this is a definite right answer or the most agreed upon, but in philosophy, it's all over the place and you have to be okay with it. So mm-hmm. uh, it's not necessarily unfortunate. It's just, that's the way that it is. And as you see more in a day-to-day professional or outside of uh, college university setting that that you are living in the gray most of the time, that it is not a definitive black and white. So I think it's a good foundation for that as well. Yeah. But my next question, they moved from South Africa to Toronto. Was that for school? Was that beforehand? What was that like? Um, so the move was had several sort of reasons behind it. So I, I did come here with my family. Um, you know, I have parents and a younger sister, and we all moved from South Africa in, in 2013. Uh, and the reason for that, there's a few levels to it. Um, firstly, South Africa's, despite it being a wonderful country made up of mostly great people and beautiful scenery and weather and culture, um, it's quite a violent place at the moment. And there's a lot of crime, particularly violent crime. Uh, and it's not a great place to, you know, um, be if you can help it. And so, you know, a lot of people can't, and, uh, that's unfortunate and they make the best of what they can. A lot of people don't want to leave because they love it there so much and they're prepared to put up with the risk. Uh, and it's not a unique situation. You know, many places in the world are like that. Um, and people deal with it in different ways, but you know, it's the best way that I can kind of describe it is like, if you live there, something's going to happen to you every few years. It's just how it goes, whether it's going to be, you're going to be maybe mugged or you're going to be, you know, involved in a carjacking depends on the level. Um, it could be home invasions. It could be kidnapping. And then, you know, it even leads to people being killed a lot. Um, maybe not a lot, but in high enough numbers and over things like their watch or their wallet or their car, right? It's, um, so it's a very, uh, violent place at the moment. And it's a sad state of affairs that that is how it is. And I wish it weren't that way, but unfortunately it is. And what that does is, and I didn't really realize this until I left, right? Is you live in a state of very heightened anxiety. But because it's all the time, you don't notice it, right? All you notice is that you're just sort of hyper aware all the time. So you're fully aware of everyone around you at all times and any funny movements or noises, it grabs your attention because it could be a threat. Now in a sort of safe uh, environment, that tends to be looked at as too much anxiety, right? Hypervigilance, that's unnecessary. But in a place where there's actually real threat, well, that's a survival mechanism and you need it, but it's not good for you. And it, it takes a toll right on your mind and your body. And once we had left, that's when I really noticed this like massive weight of anxiety just drop off. Right. Um, and you know, like living there, it also, there were many good things about, it. you know, I don't want to paint it as a, a bad picture and living life. There was, was a lot of it was really good, but, you know, there's just certain things that you do differently. Like for example, generally speaking, women don't drive at night. 
uh, it's a safety concern, not a you know law or anything like that. And they out of their own choice. I mean, sometimes they do because they have to if they're single moms or if they're you know just whatever. But that's one of the things. You know, at nighttime, uh, you don't really stop at red lights. If you're driving a car, you kind of yield because uh, it's dangerous to be stationary at night. You know, you're a target. Um, the police is unfortunately very corrupt. And so even when things do happen to you, you can't call police for help. Uh, and what's ended up happening is that people sort of gathered together to establish these private security firms, which are, you know, mostly staffed by mercenaries or ex-military folk um, who serve and protect as a private military force. And that's who you have to call. And that's great for you know this situation it's unfortunate that it's needed but that is how it is um and so it's a really just a it's just a weird way of being and you know everyone lives in a house that's got you know 10 foot walls and electric fence and surrounded by alarm you know like laser beams to for alarm sensors and guard dogs and um and even with all of that it's not enough sometimes right and there's still people who have home invasions and uh so there's just no safety um and it's just not a necessarily the best way to live um but some people do you know so that was kind of the that was the motive for the move um yeah do you have any questions about that (laughs) that's a disheartening environment you described the violent crime specifically one thing i do want to highlight or follow up on you mentioned the anxiety that you had been living with that uh, you really became aware of once you were out of the environment. Anything else that you weren't aware of as part of your day-to-day or that became apparent once you moved to, once you moved to Canada, once you were in Toronto that said, oh, this was something that was uh, common, but now, now that I'm here, I realize I don't need it. I need more of it or it's different. Absolutely. Um, and I guess the right term is like culture shock, right? But in this case, it was a positive one because there was a lot of unlearning that had to take place. Um, but it, it was a good kind of unlearning because you're doing it for better reasons. So, uh, for example, in South Africa, you know, we would never walk around anywhere. Um, it was just too dangerous to do that. And in Canada, you can walk pretty much anywhere at any time of day and be okay. I mean... So sure, there's some areas that are probably advisable to avoid, but by and large, it's not a problem. Um, So just that sense of being able to be outside and in the world and not be so worried about every car that drives past or every person that walks by, you know, are they a threat? Are they going to stop and rob me? Um, That, you know, had to took some unlearning. Uh, Trusting the police was another one, you know, and this is by no means exclusive to me and my experience. This is just sort of how I came to it is that, you know, here in Canada, the police are great. Uh, sure, there's incidences here and there that are not so good, but by and large, um, and I've met so many police officers, particularly doing my podcast and some work that I did before. And it's just, it's so nice to be able to know that the police are on your side, right? and that they're trying to do the right thing and that the corruption, if any, is minimal. Um, and so that's a different thing. But, you know, I still have automatic reactions a lot of time. Like I'll see cops and I just get this like rush of adrenaline um, because in South Africa, 
when you saw cops, if cops pulled you over for a traffic stop, it almost inevitably means you'd be forced to bribe them, right? Uh, which is a strange occurrence, but it kind of comes under the threat of like, well, how much money do you have? Uh, this is how much the fine is, and we might take you to jail if you don't pay us, but you can pay the fine now, wink, wink, uh, and you know you can go. And then, so you, you just have to live with that, right? Whereas in Canada, if I get pulled over, I'm like, great, it's fine. You know, I mean, maybe I have something wrong with the car or I did something illegal and fair enough, I'm prepared to own up to that. Uh, but there's no threat of the police uh, in that capacity, at least in, in my experience. And um, I recognize that it's not the same for everyone and people have wildly different experiences with police, but overwhelmingly that's been my experience. Uh, the other things are like, well, healthcare, you know, universal healthcare in Canada, that's been great. Um, although to be honest, so we had private healthcare in South Africa and that was probably better than the public health system, but that's generally how things work when you privatize something, but it, it costs a small fortune to have that, right? And so I like the fact that no matter who you are in Canada and what your socioeconomic status is, that you have access to the same level of care, which is pretty extraordinary, uh, generally speaking. And those were the big ones. And then also just the sort of multitude of cultures that exist here in Toronto is fantastic, right? In South Africa, it's pretty isolated. I mean, there are different cultures, but by and large, people stuck to their own groups, right? Uh, so I grew up in a Jewish community and we pretty much stuck to ourselves. Uh, whereas here in Canada, there's an extraordinary Jewish community that's made up of multiple different segments. And that's just there. And then everyone is so warm and welcoming. You know, there's people from all over the world, whether it's, you know, Asian or South Asian or, in, or um, various, I mean, uh, the Middle East, uh, Europe, I mean, South America, US, there's just people from everywhere. And everyone just wants to be part of the same community. And that's something that's, that's pretty special um, about Canada. You've referenced a couple times now about the positive culture, the positive community, the positive atmosphere of Canada. How has that, outside of, of what we've discussed tonight, how has that positively impacted your life, either personally or professionally? Um, it's a good question. I mean, in in so many ways, right? The broader I've I've found that the broader my exposure to different people of different cultures. Uh, the greater understanding I have of just humans in general and how things are often very similar, you know, in the fact that most people are good and have good intention and don't have hate in their heart for the most part, despite where they come from and what they believe in and what their religion is and so forth. Um, and it's really cool to get to know other cultures where people have such different beliefs that it seems like they're from other worlds and yet you can have a conversation with them and relate to them at a real human level and all of that other stuff just goes away, right? Um, so it's been good from that perspective and that's mostly a personal stuff. Professionally, um, I haven't really spent much time in a corporate professional setting, maybe two or three years. And there, I don't know, I worked for a small startup and so, you know, this sort of diversity uh, situation there wasn't, wasn't 
much, but we dealt with people from all companies of all different cultures and things like that. And it was cool because it does seem like everyone's sort of on the same page trying to do the same thing, at least in these sort of smaller contexts, right? And so I like it. I think it's a good thing, you know? Very nice. And I, I would agree, especially the way you describe it. And for our listeners who can't see it, you, your face lights up and you smile when you talk about it. So <laughs> you do want to yeah. highlight that. That's uh, true. I, I mean, that's what I believe, you know? I can tell. And yeah. I, I want to rewind. You mentioned the word unlearning when I asked you about moving to Canada. Mm. I like it because you described it in a way that made sense and had a positive impact. Uh, my favorite part of your bio is the fact that you include lifelong learner in there. Yeah. So with these unlearnings and with uh, considering yourself a lifelong learner, what does that mean as far as do you search out information? Are you taking classes or is it a mindset? Is it all of those things? Is it something more specific? What does it take? What does it take to be a lifelong learner? Um, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's probably a little bit of all of those things. You know, I tend to find a topic that interests me or that grabs my attention. Um, and whether that's from listening to a podcast or watching a show or reading an article or a book or something like that. And then I want to learn about it. Right. And then I, I want to really dig deep. And, uh, I have the privilege of being able to now have people on a podcast who are experts uh, in those fields to come in and talk about it, right? Which is an unbelievable experience for me. Um, and then in terms of just my desire to learn, I mean, a, a weird thing happens. Like the more you learn, the more I realize how little I actually know about anything, right? And it's a very humbling realization uh, to have. And it's not that I feel like that's a bad thing because it makes me sort of want to know more right? Uh, sometimes it can feel like overwhelming or, you know, you get a bit imposter syndrome-y, but that's okay. And, you know, you sort of take that in your stride. But I, I just have this, it's a passion for learning. Now, what's interesting is I don't have a good memory, unfortunately. Um, and so that kind of, you know, counterbalances it. But I love the learning process, particularly if I'm learning when I want to learn. I, I really hated being told what to learn. I didn't like that at all. Um, like at school, like, you know, high school and things like that. Um, like I hated school for the most part. And even though I was okay, pretty good at it, like I just didn't like it. I didn't like how it was conducted. And I'm not saying that I have a better answer to how it should be, but that was just my general experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, like now I'm in the process, I'm, I'm training to be a psychotherapist and, um, you know, I'm loving that because it's something that I want to do. And so I, I just get sucked into all the opportunities to learn. And I found that once you want to learn something and you're prepared to, you know, humble yourself sufficiently to listen to people who know more than you, that's the sweet spot, right? Uh, of being able to say, I want you to teach me as much as you can, <laughs> because I just want to know as much as I can. Um, and not have the sort of ego driving forward being like, I need to know the most, or I need to be the best, or I need to do that kind of stuff. Um, and those things might be important and fair enough, but in the context of learning, you know, that needs to take a back seat. I think. I, I want to change gears and ask you about your podcast, yeah. but I have to follow up on that last point you made 
Has sure. there ever been a, we'll call it an aha moment or a time when you realized, wow, I actually do know less than I thought I did, or I, I need to take a step back and realize there's just so much information. There's so, so many things, so many, so much that I, I don't know what I, what either I thought I knew, or I will never know what would be, what I, what, I, what, what, what is an acceptable level of, uh, of being considered an expert in an area? Yeah. I mean, dude, it happens to me all the time, particularly with like, you know, now having a podcast and people ask me questions all the time as if I know the answers. And I, I'm just like, man, I don't know. You know, I, I'm happy to give you my thoughts on it, but don't take this as like me being an expert in this. And it's interesting because the more I talk about something, the less I feel like I know about it uh, in, in a much broader sense. You know, I think it's important to have those conversations. And I don't think that just because you don't know about something means you shouldn't talk about it. That, that's not true at all because the dialogue is partly how you get that knowledge right and you work through your thoughts in those conversations um but yeah people ask me questions as if i know the answer and i don't and i'm quite happy to say that i don't you know and that took a bit of practice because in the beginning i was like let me say something that sounds good or that's worth that sounds like the right answer but it always felt and i think it probably came across as um you know, fake or not fake, but uh, not as truthful as being able to say, honestly, I don't know. If I had to guess, this is what I think. Uh, and you can take it and do with that information what you will, you know. Um, so it wasn't one moment in particular, but it happens a lot. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. Uh, for your podcast, how many episodes have you hosted now? Um. So I just published 59 and I have a few more recorded uh, and yeah, it's been a, a great journey. It's been one of the best things I've done. Nicely done. And I'll ask you about that. Mm. But first, Underground Antics, how did you come upon that name? <laughs> um, it's funny. This is a question I get quite a lot and I don't have a very good answer for it uh, because when I you know, started or was starting the podcast and thinking about it. Um, I was, you know, workshopping ideas with my friend and producer, Jason. Uh, and it just sort of came to me one day. I was like, I wanted to sort of reflect a sense of like not typical conversations, right? Not that they're off the wall or conspiratorial or anything like that, but just that so that's the underground sense is that it's it's different, right? And maybe these aren't the topics that people normally discuss in conversations. Uh, and then the antics, it just flowed, man. It just was like, you know, it, it, I wanted it to feel like a casual kind of antics-y conversation where it's, it, it's not super formal. Um, and so I thought that, well, together we thought that that name pretty well encapsulated it. And people seemed to really like it, so I went with it. Um, yeah, that's a good answer. I don't change that. That's a good answer. You, you <laughs> keep getting asked that. That's a good answer. Yeah. So you mentioned learning a lot. Um, mm. what are, I'll start with here for, there's a lot of people that I talk to interested in starting a podcast. What have you learned that you would like to tell somebody who's thinking about just getting recording, starting that show? What, what have you learned over your near 60 episodes that you've published that you would, uh, give somebody as advice who's just looking to start out? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. And I've, I've been asked this before and 
you know, I've given it a lot of thought and I think that uh, the main thing is you have to enjoy doing it, right? Because for the first while, unless you're already a somewhat known person, right? You're not going to be getting the views that you maybe think you should be getting, right? Or that you would like to be getting. And so you have to be willing to say, well, I'm enjoying this enough or getting enough out of it that I'm willing to push through that even if no one's listening for the first 50 episodes, right? Now, that's not a accurate, so I'm not saying that no one will listen. I don't know. It's different in every case. Um, and also, you know, there are people who, like I had a woman who came on the show whose podcast is in like the top 1% and her podcast just flew and just rocketed and she wasn't well known at all. And so those things can happen, but by and large, you know, with them probably two plus million podcasts around and the ease of access, it, it's got to be something that provides you with enough value that, you'd be, that you're prepared to do it despite not reaping any rewards, you know, financially or, um, praise otherwise right so i think that's got to be one of the most important things is that you got to expect it to not just go crazy or go viral that that's one point um the second point is and it kind of follows from the first point is that make sure you're doing it about things that you like to talk about right so and and this is a weird dynamic that's hard to contend with but there's a lot of thought that has that goes into how much am I doing for me and how much am I doing for the audience right and because when you start trying to do things for the audience first of all you're assuming you know what they want which you probably don't right because how could you particularly if it's a relatively small audience I mean you could do a survey I suppose but even then it's hard to know and so finding that balance is hard and, and in the beginning you probably have to lean more on what do I want to do and what drives me and what gives me the spark of creativity and, and what do I like doing? Because I think that's what people latch on to, right? It's, it's content is important, of course, but really it's the passion and the enthusiasm and the sort of willingness to engage in conversation that people like to listen to. Uh, and so, and then they get attached to you and that's how it, it sort of forms and comes together. Um, so those are two points. I mean, from a technical perspective, you know, what happens is when you release your first couple episodes, you're going to have a nice number of views because everyone you know is going to be like, oh, that's cool. What's this? Um, and you'll get, you know, whatever, a few hundred views or something like that. And then there's going to be a sharp decline because most people aren't going to be interested. And that's okay, right? Uh, you don't have to please most people. And then it plateaus and then it evens out and then you start on a rise again, right? So just sort of be prepared for that uh, initial dip and, and don't be um, thrown by it because it ha I'm sure it happens to most people. Again, assuming we're talking about people who don't already have some sort of fan base. Um, and then, yeah, that, those are the main things, I think. Um, I mean, I suppose we could talk about marketing and communication and things like that, but... It's a little more nuanced and specific to the kind of audience you're doing, the kind of content you're producing. And I don't have enough knowledge to sort of guard on that, <laughs> you know? No, that fair enough. But I love the point that you make, and I'm going to go quickly highlight it. The mm. 
doing the show or having guests with you, what you like, what you're interested in versus the audience, because you may not know. And if you don't have that passion, you don't have that enthusiasm, it'll show. So there has to be that balance of this is something that is important to me, something I like, something I want to know more of, or something that I have to share versus this is what I think an audience might like, or I'm doing this for somebody else. And it might be very obvious that it's not important or not interesting to me. Um, so I think the advice you'd get would be, yeah, make sure that you're talking to an audience, you're doing this for a specific group, they, this is your target. But if you're not into it, they're going to tell right away and it'll yeah. uh, and they're not going to listen because there's plenty of options out there. So if it's not interesting to you, it's probably not interesting to anybody else either. Yeah. And the other point, sorry, that I wanted to make was that, um, so firstly, yeah, you got to be into it, right? Because that's what's going to sustain you past the, you know, big learning curve in the beginning. Uh, the other thing I would say is talk to people you want to talk to. Don't have people on for the sake of it. Um, it doesn't really who's benefiting from that right uh it doesn't really do much um and what i was going to say is that um man i forgot this point that i was going to make so uh yeah okay <laughs> i don't know what i was going to say so we're, we're talking about doing the podcast um for yourself but also within keeping in mind other people and then yeah, man, I don't know. That shit just lost. I just lost that one. Sorry. That's all right. You gave the warning up front. Your memory wasn't very good. So yeah. This is just, this is just in display. Uh, but somehow we are already at time. So I will just ask, where can our listeners find you if they want to listen to your show or, or want to connect with you directly? Sure. Um, so my website is undergroundantics.com. Um, my podcast, Underground Antics with Shane Pockroy, is the full title. It's available um, on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, the lot. Um, and on social medias, you can find me, uh, just search for Shane Pockroy, S-H-A-N-E-P-O-K-R-O-Y. And yeah, I'd love to connect with new people. So reach out. Awesome. So I will post all that. And then just my last question to wrap up, what didn't I ask you that I probably should have? Um, I don't know. This was, a, I mean, I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I can't really think of anything that you should have asked but didn't. So, you know, good job. Nice. Likewise. It was nice, uh, nice talking with you again. And uh, yeah. I look forward to next time. Thank you, Shane. Me too. Take care. You too. Have a good night.